Krishna speaks this verse in the 11th canto. Aano guru atmaiva purushasya visheshata yat prakshavanumana bhyam shreyo savanuvindate. An intelligent person, expert in perceiving the world around him and applying sound logic, can achieve real benefit through his own intelligence. Thus, sometimes one acts as one's own instructing spiritual master. And a similar verse from the second canto, Srimad Bhagavatam, spoken by Shukadev. That's 2.2.35. Bhagavan Sarvabhuteshu Lakshita Swatmana Hari Drishyar Budyadibir Drishka Lakshanar Anumapakai the personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna, is in every living being, along with the individual soul. And this fact is perceived and hypothesized in our acts of seeing and taking help from the intelligence. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna advocates for buddhi yoga, which is to become aware of the direction of the Lord from within the heart. This is natural for one who's sincere because, as Krishna says at 10.10, Tesham satata yuktanam pachitam priti purvakam tadani buddhiyogam tam yenamam apayantite. And 11, Tesham ivanukam partam ajam Tesham ivanukam partam that uh, he become. I'm sorry, the next line? So in these two verses, he's explaining the ways in which if someone's uh, sincere, they're sincerely trying to serve Krishna or they're, they're thinking, this changed suddenly. They're thinking, how can... How can I give myself to Krishna? Then Krishna notices right away and enlightens the soul with spiritual knowledge and gives direction. Tesham satati yuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam. Somebody with priti, with a sense of appreciating Krishna, out of gratitude, the person is serving Krishna or chanting Hare Krishna. Priti purvakam. And dadami means to give. Dadami buddhi, so he gives intelligence. Yogam tam. Yenamam upayantite. He gives intelligence about how the person can properly worship him and how to take the next steps. Tesham ivanukam partam ahangma jnana jamtam aha. Nashayam nyata bhavasto jnana dipena bhashvata. So the next verse, he says a similar thing, but he gives a different metaphor. And that is that if a person is sincerely worshipping me, Tesham Ibanukam Partam Ahama Jnana Jamtamaha, then ignorance, the darkness that's born of ignorance, he says he destroys that within the heart. And then he gives the example that 
Jnana-dipena bhashvata. There's a light that comes into the heart. Uh, Jnana-dipena, from the light of knowledge. Uh, so that's the metaphor that he lights up your heart as if the, the heart is like a cave. And then in it, when the person is sincerely trying to contact Krishna, then Krishna lights up a lamp. And he'll show, here, go this way, go that way. Here's what reality is distinguished from illusion. Ahamagyanajantamaha. Nashiyatmapabasto. He destroys the darkness within the heart of the living entity, and he actively gives uh, intelligence. Similarly, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, it's mentioned that Krishna's Vidhunoti, he's very consciously there within the heart, deliberately there within the heart of each being, and wants to sort things out. The Vidhunoti means the one who sorts things out for the soul. And how does that get enacted? How does one show one's sincerity? Srinvatam Swakata Krishna. One simply tries to hear about Krishna. And in this 13th chapter of the Gita, Krishna mentions that some people who are just open to hearing from others, they're naturally submissive anyway. When they hear from the right person, then they get the greatest benefit of life and they come to know the super soul. They come to know the existence of God. Because Krishna is so amenable to any tiny bit of sincerity within the soul. Even a molecule, he perceives that a person wants to contact him. Then all of these ways, he's ready to put on the lamp, to give proper intelligence. And Srinvatam Svakata Krishna Punya Shravanakirtana Tridyanta, again from within the heart. Tridyanta means inside the heart. Tridyantaksto, he's situated there. Hibadravi, and he removes everything that's inauspicious within the heart. Vidhunoti suritsatam. Vidhunoti means he sorts things out for us. Sukrit means he's the best friend. Satam, always there, ready to help us. So the the process of sankirtan, if we combine the bhajan we sang this morning, we can understand, with these verses, we can understand the predicament of the souls in this world. The souls are in quality same as Krishna, and they're eternally related to Krishna in a relationship of love. Sanitya nitya sambandha prakritishcha paraivasa, the Sri Brahma Samhita says, we have an eternal kinship with the Lord. And now I've averted my attention from the Supreme, and therefore I'm in a fearful condition of life. Bhayam dvitiya abhinibesha tasya, ishat apetasya vipariyosmriti. Vipariyosmriti, vipariyo means something is opposite, it's wrong headed. And my smriti, my intelligence now, is turned around in the wrong direction. It's not buddhi yoga, it's jada buddhi. I have an intelligence for exploiting the material world, and it's exploiting me right back again. And vipariya yosmiti means I've, I've become wrong-headed. And what's the problem? Bhayam dvitiya vinibeshita ishad apetasya. Ishad means Krishna. Isha, as we know, Isha, Isha Upanishad. Isha means the Supreme. So 
when I turn away from Krishna, isha, apetasya. Apetasya means I turn my head the other direction. Here's Krishna and I'm looking away. So, ishat apetasya vipariyo smriti. And instead of being a servant of Krishna, I become Krishna's competitor. And I want to be the center rather than, than worshipping Krishna as the center. And what happens then? Bhayam syat. Syat means when something arises. And bhaya means fear. So this is a very fearful realm we live in, the material world, because anything can happen here. And I can lose everything that I'm trying to protect. Because it's on the bodily platform. And it's teetering like a little bead of water on a lotus leaf can fall off at any second. So, what happens when we go out for book distribution? We're carrying with us the instructions of Krishna that he's trying to speak to people within their hearts. And they're so distracted, it's very difficult for them to hear Krishna's voice. But when they come in contact with the Bhagavad Gita, then the voice within their heart and the voice of the Bhagavad Gita resonate. People notice this right away. In fact, if you look on the back of the American edition of the Bhagavad Gita, we have Thoreau and Emerson. And one of them, I can't remember if it's Thoreau or Emerson, says that it's the voice of some, someone very great. It resonates with us, the voice of the Bhagavad Gita. In this uh, purport to the verse I read to you this morning, Prabhupada calls the Bhagavad Gita the Vedic intelligence. It's all the intelligence of the Vedas compacted into 700 verses. And what happens to us when we go out to distribute the Bhagavad Gita? We also engage in Buddha Yoga because we meet people and we, by nature of the service, become aware of what we're doing, which is introducing them to Krishna. And we remember. I mean, if we were selling soap, it would be a different idea. Soap on a rope. Here's soap on a rope for you. Then it's really good soap. You should really take three of them for your family. You can't do without it and so forth. Anything else you sell. But we're selling Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam and so forth. So Prabhupada says that when you sell Krishna's book, then you remember Krishna. And we also become aware of the way that the soul is avoiding Krishna. And we also see how they come alive when we give them Vedic intelligence. And it resonates with the voice within their heart. And how consequential is it? It's what the soul's been waiting for life after life. As described by... Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Naratam Das Thakur, and all their poems and songs, they talk about how the soul's been languishing in the material world since time immemorial. When they come to the human form of life, <clears throat> it's finally an opportunity for them to wake up. Humans naturally have a, a chip inside them that wants to investigate the universe. Recently, somebody sent a submarine down to find the Titanic. Don't ask me why, but... They perished in that experiment. That's not my main point. My main point is 
it seems wholly impractical to try to fly to the moon, try to fly to Mars, try to go to the bottom of the ocean and take a, a peek at the Titanic. Uh, I mean, money could be spent on a lot of other things, right? But that's the nature of humans. We want to explore everything. What's farther beyond what we can see right now with our eyes, upwards, downwards, we want to look in a microscope. We have this tendency to investigate who we are. That came out in Brahma, who's the first created being in the universe. When he came out, he was in darkness, and he climbed down the stem of the lotus flower, which was the origin of his birth, which emanated from the navel of Garbhadakshaya Vishnu. And what was he looking for? He wanted to know what? Where did I come from? Who am I? Where did I come from? That's the first being. And then he heard the syllables tapa. Tapas tom tapa etena tavasidhir bhavishiti. Goddess Saraswati also appeared to him and said, Tapas tom tapa etena tavasidhir bhavishiti. Chant this mantra, you'll become perfect. That's your, that's your tapas, is to do, uh, recite this mantra. And you'll become perfect by reciting the mantra. Tapas tom tapa etena tavasidhir bhavishiti. Sri Brahma Samhita. That's the, my favorite purport in all the books comes in that, for, uh, for that verse, which says, uh, do thou practice tapasya with this mantra and you'll become perfect. And you want to hear what the purport says? Yes. Purport, its purport is clear. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and then, atavenu that he heard then through his eight ear holes the sound of Krishna's flute after he performed that tapasya. And then he realized the Gayatri Mantra, the nature of the spiritual world and so forth. And Prabhupada writes in one of his purports that the Hare Krishna Mantra and the flute song of Krishna are non-different. So we're connecting people directly with the spiritual world. I was thinking yesterday of the different personalities we met when we went door to door. Did some of you think about them this morning, who we met? There was that one woman from Ireland. Well, she said she's Irish, Irish Catholic. And she uh, said, uh, I'm Irish Catholic, what can you do? And <laughs> she was a real comedian. She was entertaining us from, from her porch and uh, had several jokes. She was a hairdresser. And she said to me, not much I can do for you. <laughs> and uh, she accepted a Bhagavad Gita and gave a donation. It was more based on circumstance. She hadn't thought it through really carefully that I'm looking for the Vedic intelligence. It's just that we showed up at her door with about 25 people. And, you know, and, and we, were, we had a nice exchange and she felt something in her heart that well, what can I do? I should do something and give something in return. Meanwhile, the Bhagavad Gita uh, slipped right into her house. And Prabhupada said, and then if somebody reads that, they can read anywhere. Here, somebody give me a Gita. If you can't get a Gita in a Hare Krishna house, you're in Sanjay. May I have a Gita? 
she opens anywhere and reads something from the Gita, then she'll have this experience of buddhi, thank you, of buddhi yoga. I'm opening randomly, by the way. Then why are you taking so long? <laughs> Krishna says, Katam vidyam maham yogim stham sada parichintayan keshu keshu chapaveshu chintosi bhagavan maya. O Krishna, O Supreme Mystic, how shall I constantly think of you and how shall I know you? In what various forms are you to be remembered, O Supreme Personality of Godhead? And then she'll read the purport. As it is stated in the previous chapter, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is covered by his yoga maya. Only surrendered souls and devotees can see him. Now Arjuna is convinced that his friend Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But he wants to know the general process by which the all-pervading Lord can be understood by the common man. Common men, including the demons and atheists, cannot know Krishna because he is guarded by his yogamaya energy. Again, these questions are asked by Arjuna for their benefit. The superior devotee is concerned not only for his own understanding, but for the understanding of all mankind. So Arjuna, out of his mercy, because he is a Vaishnav, a devotee, is opening for the common man the understanding of the all-pervasiveness of the Supreme Lord. He addresses Krishna specifically as yogin. As what? Yogin. Because Sri Krishna is the master of, of the yogamaya energy. Which energy? Yogamaya. By which he is covered and uncovered to the common man. The common man who has no love for Krishna. Love for who? Krishna. Can, cannot always think of Krishna. Therefore, he has to think of the materialistic persons of this world. The words, Keshu, Keshu, Chapaveshu. Which words? Keshu, Refer to material nature. The word bhava means physical things. Because materialistic, materialists cannot understand Krishna spiritually, they are advised to concentrate the mind on physical things and try to see how Krishna is manifested by physical representations. There's a lot in that one purport, isn't there? So there's nothing uh, impractical or that will divert one's attention even uh, a jot uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada's books, so when people are able to take them into their homes and take a look at them, and sometimes they take a look at them right away, and sometimes it happens after a whole lifetime. In fact, we met somebody who had purchased the Bhagavad Gita and she brought it home and put it at high, high on the top shelf because she thought, I'll never read this. And then, actually it was a Krishna book. And uh, she bought it in a parking lot in Los Angeles and then went back to her home in some far-flung place like Minnesota. And... Then, meanwhile, she got married, had a child, child grew up, and when he was an adolescent, he began to inquire about God. So he read the Bible, he read the Koran, he read the Buddhist, Buddhist literatures. He wasn't satisfied. And he had an insatiable desire to know God. So his mother remembered that, wow, I think it was 20 years ago, I met some people in a parking lot in Los Angeles 
And she said, I still have that book. It's on the top shelf. And she went and took it down and gave it to her son. And her son began to read it, and it became his main focus in life. And he became a devotee by reading that book. So sometimes the books act right away, and sometimes they wait. But books are very patient. They can wait for generations. And books are hard to get rid of, too. Even if somebody gives you a book you don't like, you look and you'll, I'll never read this, but, well, I have it. What am I going to do? You can't throw it in the recycle bin because it's a book. We have a natural respect for books as humans because there's some intention behind it from the author, some knowledge. What do you think, Sridhar? Yeah. And so when we're distributing Krishna's book and the books go into people's homes, there's a way in which inevitably there'll be some consequence, a spiritual fruit will come out one way or the other. In Cleveland, Ohio, when we are distributing books at the airport, one of the books was called The Reservoir of Pleasure and a picture of Govinda on the front. And sometimes people would buy a book and then they'd throw it away. And we were at the temple and one day a woman janitor came from the temple. She found the address in the book and she knocked on the front door of the temple and said, does this book come from you? And the devotees said, yes, that's our book. And she said, I found it in the garbage can at the airport. I'm the janitor there. And she said, I can't imagine how anyone in their right mind would throw away anything so beautiful. And they invited her into the temple to meet Krishna in person. It was Sri Sri Radha at that time, who are now at the Bhakti Center in New York. And there are ways in which the, the books are like a message in a bottle. Sometimes people put a message in a bottle and then they cast it into the ocean and it floats. The, the recent record for floating bottles in the ocean is 102 years. One was put in the ocean. I can't remember if it went from America to uh, the UK or it was the opposite direction. But it was verified after they re recovered this bottle, message in a bottle, that it was over 100 years old. And it had floated from one continent to the next. And the books are like that also. When they go into people's homes, they're like a message in a bottle. Who knows where it will float to? Sometimes pe people put the books, they'll be clearing out and they'll say, oh, I don't know what this is, some book we got somewhere, and they'll put it in a garage sale. And somebody will walk along and say, oh, I'll take that. And books last. They're like when there's a nuclear leak, like at Chernobyl, it goes out, it takes decades and decades to clear it up. But there's always some trace there. So every time we make a contact with people door to door, even if they don't take a book, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta said, there's some residue that's left there. They'll think, oh, what were those people? What was that paint on their face? They'll be thinking, Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> that Krishna is very sticky. The gopis said that uh, don't get involved. It's that Krishna is so sticky, he's like mango sap. If you get it in your hair, you'll never get it out. <laughs> He, they can't get the sound of Krishna's flute and his 
thoughts of Krishna out of their head, even though they try. So people, who they need this. It's the medicine to overcome bhava, the churning ocean in the material world that always keeps us in the cycle of birth and death and great suffering everyone's undergoing. So there's a solution to it, and it's to distribute knowledge. And books are the basis of our movement, knowledge, we're an educational movement, and all of you, because you're organizing here in the UK with a mighty push to beat India, please pick a place like Delhi or Mayapur and beat them, okay? Say yes. yes. Yeah, you can do it. You just have to organize. India, in the beginning, wasn't distributing anything. It was all U.S. and then Europe, and India only doing a few books here and there. Then some devotees like Bhima went to India, and he said, hey, there's a program called Radha Dominar, and they drive around on buses. Why don't we get a bus? So they got a bus over there, and now they have 50 buses. So can you go from one bus to 50 buses? Can you go from no buses to one bus? Yes. Can you go from one bus to 50 buses? Yes. How about 200 buses? <laughs> How do you do that? By planning, step at a time. That's why we're here. We don't have to stay the same. We can pick a point on the map and say, this is where we want to be. And by planning with great intention, with the idea that this is purposeful, this follows parampara directly. It's the activity that Prabhupada said will fulfill all the aforementioned purposes of ISKCON. It's an unassailable service. And it's highly potent. So if we take this as a, a corporation, we're going to organize this. We'll have everything in order. We'll make improvements every single month to make sure that we're rising in quality and in quantity. And we introduce it to more and more people. Through this process of organization, we can beat India. Pick Mayapur, for instance. Maybe you look and you say, okay, they're doing 10 times. Can somebody look it up? How many more times are they doing than we're doing here in the UK? You should have those statistics. Be able to measure against somebody. Unless somebody's in front of you and you're chasing after them, you're not going to go fast. Kali Yavana went as fast as he could. He was chasing Krishna. Couldn't catch him. And if you're on the Parikram Marg, at Govardhan, then if you find a sadhu, one day I was going out on Govardhan Parikram and I was tired. I thought, I don't know if I can do this today all the way around. And then in the dark, this sadhu came flying past me. And I said, all I'm going to do is just stay right behind him the whole way. And so I got right behind him. He looked back a couple of times like, who is this guy? <laughs> but I just stayed with him. And I drafted him, like they do in, in uh, cycling and, and running. You get behind somebody and it breaks the, 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 uh, the drag from the air. And I just followed him all the way around. Wherever he stepped, I stepped. And I didn't have to look in the dark that I was going to step on a stone because I already knew he stepped there. And just stay behind and then you'll go fast. So we have to have something to look forward to, something, uh, some occasion to rise to. Prabhupada instigated such competitions by 
in the 1970s, San Francisco was the largest center for book distribution. And he would say things like uh, to other centers, say you can do your book distribution, but I, I don't think you'll be able to catch up with San Francisco. <laughs> and then they try like anything to catch up. And he'll say if, if he told one uh, leader, say, like, uh, if, if you beat Tamal Krishnamars, he may have a heart attack. <laughs> because Tamal Krishnamars is highly competitive in everything. So this sense of let's find someone, let's chase after them. Did we get any stats? You can get the stats from ISV. We have them because we're chasing my report. And, and this is a portion of the Vatican is two to three, four. So it's 30,000 versus uh, 2,000. Only. That's nothing. We can turn that around. I, everywhere I go, I go for a morning walk every day, try to go to new neighborhoods, and all I see are Maseratis and Mercedes Benz. If we trade all those in, we can definitely beat them. <laughs> Let's have a trade-in. We'll really shock the world, right? Trade in your Maserati, your BMW, to beat Mayapur. Like in a war effort. A war effort, so everybody comes out. The ladies come, everyone's working somewhere, making shells in the... Shells, I mean like bomb shells, in the in the factory, everybody contributes to the war effort. And so when we have a community where we're going somewhere, we actually have a point on the map as if we have to get here. Can we get there? Absolutely. Uh, if you look at any city, it's a miracle that it exists. How does anybody even build a building? They have an ambition and they say, I'm going to build this. And then they figure out how to do it. And it's just a matter of assembling the ingredients and having a will to do it. So it makes life exciting when we're going somewhere and we have a big idea. And I'm fully convicted that the UK Yatra is the mightiest Yatra on earth. And they have the wherewithal to develop into a world power for book distribution. It'll rock the world to rise to this occasion of having the, the most effective book distribution team on the planet here in the UK. So there's no impediment because the leadership here is all for it. When we talked to Pragosh, when he was on the call a couple of years ago, remember that call we had at, from the Haveli? Mm -hmm. And we were saying, uh, well, maybe we can get 20% growth a year. Is that where we're at, 10 or 20%? 20? 20. 20. 10. 10, and he said, well, why not 50? And that's, of course, 10% growth year after year is, is really a good pace. But figure it out, how to beat the next person, how to move up to the next level for the sake of what it will make of us to do that. What it will make of us, to, of the UK Yatra, to rise to the occasion of being a world power in book distribution and shock the world. What do you think? Okay. What happened to Divyanam? Where is he? Well, what do you think? It's a great idea. 
So, <laughs> it's a great idea. It's a great idea. So measure it and figure it out and say, what do we have to do to get there? And that's where the brainstorming becomes most fruitful. Assume it can be done. Maybe it's not my poor, but it's somebody. And pick a, a point and then inculcate it into the community because Prabhupada said we should always have a fresh challenge to want to rise up and meet it. And um, it's fully possible and it's worthwhile doing. And now let's have a few reflections or questions. Yes. Um, with regards to books and distribution. Well, obviously out and about we're distributing books and people see the books and they connect. When we're at the temple, we're not having the same kind of connection, I feel, because people that come new into, like myself or new, new people come through, don't um, like attend one of the classes, like the class that you did yesterday at the temple. You had the book, which is fantastic, you know, and giving class with the book, I think makes a huge difference than picking up a laptop or an iPhone when you're giving a class. Because the new people that come to the temple, they want to connect, and like we're talking about how, how sacred books are, and yet we're not actually doing it in the temple on a regular basis. And I think that in itself kind of washes away the emphasis of the actual quality of the book, so we can get a PDF instead, you know? So I think if we can kind of move within classes, within our own temples, and do read from the books, I think that will hold, um, it will give people a little insight of what the book looks like, you know, that everyone kind of has their own uh, version. But what I'm saying is, you get instant connection with the person who's actually doing the class as well as the book that's present as opposed to a computer. Brilliant. Perhaps we could have a program where those who sit down for class could have a book stand. It's possible we did it at ISV for years. And then when uh, they come in, they could, they could have a new book on their book stand. And then at the end, you could say, if you like, you could keep it. And maybe there's a donation box at the door if you'd like to leave something, but take the book with you. But what do you think of that idea, Tivinam? I've just made a note, Maharaj. We will try to discuss that with the senior leadership at the temple to see how we can incorporate it. At I least in some events, if not every... Yeah, or if there's a little package they get to take with them. They've come all that way and they're sitting down and if there's programs especially where there's newer people or even for devotees, I think your idea of making them more visible, making them more tangible, they have the book in their hand and so forth and experimenting with that could be a fruitful idea. Thank you. Yes, Prabhu. Well, it's great things happen when people are empowered. Um, Sometimes I speak of myself, I feel I'm just like dead, like a doornail. I want to achieve things and I want to do more. I don't seem to have the capacity. How does one attract empowerment? How does one develop the capacity to do more? 
what I find is that in a very practical way, when we make incremental goals and then we brainstorm to how to increase capacity to reach them, then we find new ways to do that and it becomes part of the system. I, there's no other way to explain where we came from at ISV with just a few devotees and the first time I suggested that we set a goal and we did but the devotees there thought it was too high and maybe I was pushing too hard. I think at the time I said something outrageous like let's try to do a hundred books together this weekend. It was in the very beginning and then they the then Sankirtan leader came to me and said, um, you know, the devotees feel a little like this is impractical. That's way too high. And I went home and I wrote an essay about thinking big. And I published it in the, what is that called, Dundavats? And I distributed it. And they came back the next day. And they said, okay, we're going to try for it. And they surprised themselves. They did better than they thought they would. And then that started a trend that let's, let's go for a little more than we think we can do and keep trying for it. As far as being individually empowered, you can pray because Prabhupada prayed. Advaita Acharya prayed. I prayed when I first found out about book distribution. They invited me to do book distribution. I said, I'll, I'll do it. And I went out on the streets and I started doing it. Then we heard news about a devotee in Southern California that was distributing 40 Krishna books a day. And the first thing the senior devotees around me said is that that's not true. It's impossible to distribute 40 big books a day. There must be some cheating. They must be going to the racetrack or something like that. <laughs> Seriously. But we verified it. And I verified it myself because I went on traveling Sankirtan and I, I met the devotee who was doing it. And then I came home and I thought, just like you had said, how can I do, how can I do, how can I do? Prophet said it and you brought it up in your presentation. And I went to the book room, which was in the garage next to the temple, to chant my japa every day. And I took 40 Krishna books and I, I piled them up in one pile. And that's where I put my seat. And I'd sit right in front of the Krishna books. And I chant all my japa in front of the books. And my main prayer was, Krishna, show me how to do it. Please show me how to distribute 40 books in one day. And then one thing after another happened. It was an arduous journey because, you know, I had to learn. But I had the will to do it and I was praying for it. And Krishna sent me the right mentors. And some days I even cried. I remember I got sent to O'Hare Airport in Chicago and everyone else was doing so many more books than me. And the crowd out there was intense. I actually got arrested the first month I was there because somebody punched me in the face. And then they, uh, the devotees called the police and the guy said I punched him. So we both got thrown in jail. It was a rough and tumble place. And I was still kind of new to the world. Uh, the big public. I was raised in a very protective environment in the suburbs of Lafayette, California. And there was a... What? How old were you? 
uh, when I got punched in the face. <laughs> I was 17. So, yeah, we were just kids out there, and people used to harass us all the time, get a job. Why don't you get a job? What are you in a cult or something like that? So, I mean, it was intense, but I wanted to do it so badly that I remember one night I was trying and trying and trying, and I just broke out crying. The tears were coming down my face because the Krishna, please show me how to do this. And it was, it was soon afterwards that I broke through. And I remember our Sankirtan leader seeing my scores said, well, Lord Chaitanya has decided to use your body in his service. And I didn't know how it happened. All I knew was all of a sudden it was happening and I was able to distribute those kind of quantities and more. But it, it took prayer and an intensity of desire. And we can think of how, Lord, how Advaita Acharya started the Sankirtan movement in the first place. He sat down in his place in Shantipur in front of Shalagram Shila. And he got something from the Shastra. He said, this is Krishna guarantees if you offer him Ganesh's water and Tulsi leaves that he'll, he'll, he'll sell himself to you. I mean, he'll give you anything. So he just prayed, let me start the Sankirtan movement. That was how it started, prayer. And look at Prabhupada. He started with a prayer. On the Jaladuta, what was he against the world except that he said, the empowerment of Krishna. Krishna is up to you. If you want to make this work, it will please Srimati Radharani and you know, we'll all be good. And just please empower me to do this. And he prayed over and over again. And he signed it, the most insignificant beggar. So if, if you want to be empowered, Krishna is ready to do it, especially Lord Chaitanya is ready to do it. He's a venture capitalist and he's ready to sign the check. And he's sitting behind a desk. And anybody who comes in and says, I, I want to do this. I want to invest my life in this. I want to make my mark in the Sankirtan movement. I want the UK Yatra to beat India. That's my desire. And you're ready to cry for it. Krishna will empower you. Lord Chaitanya will sign the check. And it'll happen. So that's... It's a spiritual process. We do have to organize. We do have to get books. We do have to do great sadhana. And we do have to show the books. But it all comes down to prayer when it comes to individual empowerment. How bad do you want it? We have, yes? About beating India, uh, two years ago when we were in Mayapur at the Yatra, I was walking down from the main temple towards the ashram and I met with His Holiness Gopal Krishna Maharaj. And I said to Maharaj, Maharaj, we, we're just starting to uh, you know, distribute more books in UK. Please give us your blessings. And Mohan Rupa Prabhu was walking within the temple president from Delhi. He looked at him and he said, may you beat Delhi and may you beat India. No. So Maharaj has also given us the blessing. That's the first thing which came out of uh, Maharaj's wrote a smile. It was really nice. Just wanted to share that. It's in the air. And it's worth doing. If you look at the great eras in ISKCON, there was something to die for. There was something to die for. The Christian, early Christian movement, the reason that it succeeded, Rome was completely against the, the early Christians. But the reason they changed their tune was because the Christians were willing to die for their cause. And they said, we can't compete with this. 
The Romans used to pursue people to the end of the earth and execute them, to the end of the earth and execute them if they didn't follow the Roman process. But the Christians, they were so dedicated to their cause that they were willing to die for it. So that's what makes life great. If you, if you find a cause you're willing to die for, then you can move mountains. Yes. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. <clears throat> what I observe as a group, I don't think we, we get to know each other enough to have a solidarity. So I, I go by together we stand um, when we are in our own before. That's how I feel. So I think people dip in and out of the group quite a lot. And so I think what's missing is the love and the support amongst each other, even to get to know each other so that we can give each other support. Or maybe create a forum for all of us to have that support. How did you do? You planted a seed or whatever. So we can share our experience and, and learn from it. So I think that is missing. And I've got a really beautiful success story to tell that happened yesterday. <clears throat> I planted a seed with a colleague at work years ago. I've been working with her. And it stayed, that seed stayed dormant for years, on and off, on and off. It was being um, watered a little bit, watered a little bit. And she promised she'd come and she'd come. And then something disastrous happened in her life. And then she thought of me. and you know, her partner was in the hospital, so she went in this multi-faith um, area where we also distribute books. And she saw um, the um, Quran and the, the Bible, and then the, the Bhagavad Gita I always talked to her about, you know, stared her in the face and she grabbed it and took it to the bedside of her partner. And she opened a page and read it because this is the kind of thing I was talking to her about. And she said, suddenly he woke up from his unconsciousness. And she was thinking of me all the time, of this disastrous experience. And then suddenly I phoned her the night before, not knowing anything about what's going on. And she, I invited her to the Rata Yatra yesterday, and she came along. And her life, she said, has been turned around. And she's gone back to her house. She's bought a lot of these, um, you know, beads and stuff to take to him and chant, and, and um, so it was really a lovely experience. Two really important points: one is about planting seeds for gardeners. A very personal with people. That sounds strange that we wouldn't be personal with people, but we have to take time to cultivate people. They're worth it, and also develop ways in, in our own team where we feel that we're connected with everybody, forums where we can see what others are doing, where we can meet and encourage one another and so forth. It's vital to have a esprit de corps and a sense that we're all in this together. One of the ways um, I noticed in some places that it, it helps a lot is celebrating together at the end of each marathon, making sure that everybody has an opportunity to hear the team score and see the solidarity with all the team members and so forth. Uh, and also the WhatsApp group where devotees are always posting pictures of what's going on. I notice a lot of exchange there 
Someone will post a picture, I just sold a Bhagavatam set, and they're there, and then everyone else is checking in and saying, wow, Jai, thank you, this is great, and so forth. All these points are really helpful. You had a point? Yes. yes. Thank you, thank you for jump-starting on enthusiasm. Um, I just, um, um, you know, I really like the statement you said that the instruction of the book uh, resonates with the, what's in the, in the soul. How do you, within the few split of seconds, decide which book will resonate with that person? Uh, how do you assess that? Because it might not be the Bhagavad Gita, it might be one of the small books to start with. Are we trying to resonate their um, impressions from the soul with the book, or are we trying to give them books that may resonate with? If you know what I mean. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, yeah, sure. Well. In general, the books that we're distributing are meant to touch the soul, enlighten the intelligence, and so forth, and they're all capable of doing that to one degree or another. I even I was downtown San Francisco with a devotee named Sudama, who became a devotee by imitating devotees on Halloween. He dressed up like a devotee in Hawaii, and then he was joking around with his friends, Hari Krishna, for Halloween. And then they saw the, the devotee's Harinam party. And they, all his friends dared him, why don't you go jump in? So he did. And he even went so far as to go back with them to the temple. And uh, although he was an atheist, he didn't believe in anything about Hari Krishna. But then he went off to uh, Boston and went to school later. And then he met the devotees there. And he bought a higher taste cookbook. And he said he read it over and over again. And it was the bits in there that uh, caught in his mind and he, he became a devotee. And uh, one day he was watching me distribute downtown San Francisco and it was a bit of a grind that day. So several people in a row took higher taste cookbooks but they didn't want the other book. And I was, he, kind of, he looked at me and goes, don't worry, I became a devotee from reading the higher taste cookbook. <laughs> So we don't know for sure which book connects with which person. We just know in a general way when the literature goes out, it makes a difference. We do try to make sure that it is, um, you know, we make as many books available and we try to make them as accessible as possible. That is each book we're, we're trying to aim it so that it will touch people's hearts and it's not over their heads and so forth. And we, we should think about that. So when we're meeting people, if we can assess that, then that's helpful. It's also nice to, to give a combination of books at different levels so that people can look in one, kind of get started, and so forth. But it's that kind of thought. That's the thought of the Madhyama Adhikari. Prabhupada says, a Madhyama Adhikari is thinking 24 hours a day. How can I spread the Christian consciousness movement? And that includes the kind of thought you were just mentioned. So these are a few ideas, and now we're going to move to the next step in our meeting today with Divyanam Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Thank you.